Father, we want to thank you that you have loved us so deeply that you call us cherished, treasured, that you've custom made us, that we're yours. I pray that you would bring us a new revelation of that good news today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're actually continuing in 1 John. I'll start there. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And uh, I'm excited to bring this message today. Let me say that. Chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. And he who has done, does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. Okay. The first bit is a continuation from where we've been right throughout 1 John and he's saying eternal life comes through Jesus the Son of God and it comes from no one else. Nowhere else you can be saved, no one else can you have eternal life but that life he's talking about, if you think about the concept of eternity and it goes forever you can't have eternal life just when you die right? If it's eternal it it actually it's now as well do you understand what I'm saying? He's not talking about one day it's all going to be good. He's saying you have fullness, as that's John's words, you have fullness of life, you have a relationship with God, you're joined to him now. You receive every spiritual blessing. He says you have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You've got it all. And that comes when you put your faith in Jesus, God's Son, the Saviour, who is the Lord of all. And so... With that comes this blessing of knowing that we are loved, that we are treasured. Now, there's a, a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. Uh, it comes up but, uh, in Deuteronomy a lot, but it, it was a Hebrew word which meant, it's called it's amsagala. Might not mean anything to you. It means it's treasured possession, jewel, peculiar treasure. Proper and good and special, right? A special treasure. And that's what God says of his people Israel. You are my Amsagala. You are my treasured possession. Okay? On Christmas Day, I gave Wade a matchbox car uh, for Christmas. And it's very uh, good because he enjoyed it. It was 1968 Pontiac, so you don't buy the new stuff. It's retro. Reddish maroon, and he held on to it for about two days, slept with it, sucked on it mostly. He never drove it, he's only 10 months old at the time. He just chewed it, but always in his hand, and it was like this you know, carrying around this, this treasured possession, staring at it. it. Now, understand this, pre- this precious treasure, it's good, it's proper, it's nice, it's right. That's, and who is that? That is us. So Deuteronomy six, uh, 7 verse 6 says, the Lord, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples in the face of the earth. A whole lot of matchbox cars there. And he's chosen you to be his people, his treasured possessions. There's lots there. But he's saying, I've chosen you to be mine. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you're more numerous than other people. For you, the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of, the, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, uh, you remember, of course, I preached on that at Sam and Beck's wedding. Yeah, I know you've all got good memories. I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So the reason he chose us is because he loves us. He chose to love us. He says he chose to set his affection or his favour on us. Because that's what he's like. And also because of a promise he'd made to Abraham and, and so on way back. He'd made a promise. And he says, so I made this promise and I chose... You know, you remember Abraham? I chose him. Now, why did he choose Abraham? Uh, what was Abraham doing that was so good to be chosen by God? Well, he was worshipping other gods in a foreign country. Yeah, okay? And God chose him. Yep. And he says, just so you know, you weren't the, you weren't the greatest of the most numerous. You weren't this rich, wonderful nation, you know? He, I made you out of nothing, really, didn't he? He, made, he chose Abraham, created this nation... Why? Not because you were the fastest and the shiniest, had the best juco. In fact, we've since heard that Wade's completely chewed a wheel off of the Pontiac. That's <laughs> if he pulled, you know, if he chewed two wheels off, he would be too tired. No. Um, <laughs> God didn't look at us and say, there he is, the perfect one, got it all together the most beautiful, the greatest personality. He didn't say that. He didn't choose us because he didn't say, I know that I know they're funny, but they've got a good heart. He didn't choose us because of that. Got great potential. He chose us because he chose to love us. Isn't that good to know? Because what performance level do you have to reach now to be loved by God? You're already there. Yeah? Are you already there? Do you actually believe that you're already there that God's love for you is there because he has chosen to love you. He did it. That should make us the most grateful, joyful people on earth because we have surety. And how do we know he loved us? He loved us by sending his son. How do we know the depth of his love? Because we know that his, his, his son died to save us from the slavery of sin, to restore us to him so that when he looks at us, he sees us as that perfect, human being, now I've been using a car for an example, but there's nothing wrong with this car through because he sees us through Christ. And how much was he willing to pay his own son? That's, that's the cost of the ransom. So we don't have to dress up to make ourselves look good or have some self-belief that we're going to be acceptable to God or do something to do it, we can look in the mirror because people like to look in the mirror and say, my nose, my hair, my ear. Does that ear hang lower than the other ear? Do you know what? You can get some work done. And maybe God will love you more. That's a joke. 
Okay? Because what we do so often is we feel worthless, don't we? Because of something in ourselves. But understand, when God picked you out, he didn't pick you out because you had it all together. He chose to love you. And you had two wheels chewed off already. And you were tired. And you, you understand? That's, that's who he chooses. He loves people with their wheels missing. And when he looks at us, well, he said, Amsagar, my treasured possession. But, you see, we'll lose that feeling of worth when we don't, as, as uh, the Bible tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because, well, actually, Jesus is, is the perfect man and, and, and God sees us. And when we, when we look to Jesus, though, we, we know he's the one who's done it all for us. And, and if he's done it all, then we're there and we must be loved because look what he went through and look what the Father gave up. And, and when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. And so fix your eyes on Jesus and you're actually, in one sense, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're fixing your eyes on your eternity. You're fixing your eyes on your perfection in Christ. So in, going back to John, I've jumped out of John a bit, but he said in, in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, you have eternal life. But I write this to you so you know you may have eternal life. You understand? Because why we, we're forgetful and we get distracted and we're thick. And John says, I'm writing this to you just to remind you of what's already true. This is not something new. You're not coming to faith every day. You, you, you're not becoming saved every day. I'm writing this so that you may know what you already have. Now, hopefully, if you've got people around you who love you, you tell them often that you love them. Surely once would be enough. Yeah? Why do you keep telling it? Because actually, isn't it good to be told you're loved? Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it, doesn't it build you up to know, hey, this person, whether it be anyone from my parents to my children to my spouse or whoever, this person loves me. We need that reminder, don't we? It reinforces a truth. You know, they might have loved you without telling you, of course. As you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're reminded again of something which is already true. You are treasured by God. You are His. But it doesn't come from looking at ourselves. Otherwise, we're looking in the mirror. Okay? You don't, you don't know you are valuable by looking in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, it does the opposite. Okay? Look at the sun. That's... So in verse 14 it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, it says, This is the confidence, this is, that's what the NIV says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. The, uh, if you've got something a bit more literal, like an ESV, it'll say, This is the confidence we have towards God. Towards. Okay, it uses a Greek word, uh, which is pros, which is just a basic word which means to or towards moving towards or something like that but it's a word that John uses in, in a really special way and I'll go back to John 1 1 we know this verse in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the, uh, the word was with God and the word was God you've heard that one it's talking about Jesus it says in the beginning he was with God and he was God 
But the word there about he was with God is actually the same pros. And it means uh, he was towards God. He was actually, it means something like he was face to face with God. He, before anything else was made, there was Jesus face to face with God. It's a very intimate thing. I don't know if you know, I remember, I remember years ago I met Jody and, and uh, we got married and you'd wake up in the morning and you know you stare into each other's eyes or she might be asleep or, and, and you, but you're not, you're not it's like where Alex is, you're, you're this close. And so much so that the eyes become one and stuff like that, you remember all that and you just sit and stare and, and it's very intimate, isn't it? Face to face with someone you love who, who treasures you. Okay. Everything's exposed then, isn't it? It's, it's open and you, and you can talk and share. The father and the son were that close. They loved each other. And, and then the father gave up the son that he loved to bring many children to glory so that they might be cross, face to face with God in that intimate position, looking deeply into his eyes. Now that sounds a bit dangerous, especially if he's a holy God. If I could if you just say, I, I remember this bloke years ago, I thought that he was this prophet of God and if he looked into my eyes he could see all my sin. So, so I, every time he looked at me I'd look down and look away. I was a new Christian and I, I thought there was these super spirits who had everything. Yeah, it's a bit dangerous looking into the eyes of God. But not really if his son's died for us because... What, what sin does God see? Nothing. What shame? There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no fear. You can hold that stare. You know that stare that we don't like to keep staring and it hurts because it, it kind of penetrates? We are so close to God. We have such confidence that we can stare into his eyes. He has purified us. There's no embarrassment coming. There's no shame. So what uh, the Bible says about uh, Moses in, uh, in Exodus 33, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's what, we have. That's what we have in Christ. That's what we have for Jesus. We have this full confidence. And so here we have this, can you see what I'm saying? We know we're treasured possessions. We have this intimacy of relationship. We have this face-to-face. And then he says, then if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We can have such boldness and confidence. He's right there. We can ask anything according to his will. Now that, I don't know, that anything according to his will, that might seem slightly frustrating. It would be easier if it just said... We can ask for anything. Yeah, yeah, but anything according to his will is like, yeah, what does that mean? What is his will? Because obviously we know you can't ask God for everything, otherwise I'd be asking him for that red XR8 that I want. But that's, that's not how it works. Okay? It, it, how, how is it that we know what his will is? Okay, I'll... We just uh, did a camp where we talked about James and I, I did a talk on James 3. It was very helpful for me. I don't know if anyone else enjoyed it. But what, what I found there, I preached on a passage which talked about the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. Man's wisdom, or it said man's wisdom, it's the devil's wisdom, and then there's a wisdom uh, that comes from God. 
And he said, the wisdom from above, I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing a big loop here to come back to praying God's will. But he says, the wisdom from above is humble. It has humility. It's not trying to prove ourselves or show off or make a name for ourselves or make a legacy or make a kingdom for ourselves. No need to prove ourselves. If God's chosen to love us, we don't need to do that. Okay? So he's saying that true wisdom, as God made it, is, is, is not, it's not trying to lift yourself up. You don't have to do that. You don't have to build a kingdom because he's brought you into his kingdom. Okay? Uh, you don't have to make a name for yourself because, you know, 90% of the world population is trying to make a name for himself, make a legacy. I want to be known. I, I want to achieve something in my life. He's given us his name. So you can live and die in obscurity. That sounds horrible, but it's not. Because it doesn't matter how many people remember you, you might not even get a page on Wiki. Yeah, that's okay. We haven't changed the world with our super goals. All we know is this we are sons and daughters of the King, treasured and loved by Him. So in this James 3 reading, he says, The wisdom from below. Is, is defined by uh, a couple of things, envy and selfish ambition. These come from the devil. Okay? Envy brings coveting. I want what you've got. I, you know, I want something else. I, I need more. Uh, uh, and, and selfish ambition. He says these are from the devil. You get that? Selfishness is from the devil. Pretty plain terms, isn't it? It doesn't come from God. It's when you want, and, and you know, Jesus said, if you try and gain all of life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you lay down your life, give up your life, you gain it. When you live to build, to line your nest, to live in your pride, you live in the devil's ways. But when you live longing to love, serve, and bless others in humility, not thinking of others, uh, not thinking of yourself above others, not looking to your own needs, but to the needs of others. Looking to the good of others. Okay? Not seeing yourself as better than anyone. If you, think, if you look around the room and you think there's someone more sinful than you, then you haven't got the humility we're talking about. Okay? He's saying there is selfish ambition and then there is selflessness, being other person-centred, loving, and that's God's way. Okay, now we go back to, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What is according to his will? Well, it's when you pray for other people. Spiritual prayers. When you look outside of yourself. Okay? I'm not, uh, you know, sometimes caught up, you know, I pray, I pray about me, pray about, oh, so, everything's so bad. I pray about just those who are like me because they're the good guys and uh, maybe that I'd have success or something like that. Uh, my glory, validating my name, all that sort of stuff, you know, Self, selfish ambition. If you pray for that, you're not praying in the will of God, are you? Yeah? I'm not saying don't pray for your families. No, no. But what I'm saying is that when prayer that comes from him will also include praying for others who don't act and think like ourselves. Because if you only pray for those who are like you, you're actually praying to yourself or about yourself or for yourself, you know what I mean, uh, to the good guys, and you're only face-to-face with yourself. 
But when you know the grace of God to save us, then you will pray for other people who God loves to save. Now, who does he love to save? People with their wheels chewed off. People with their scratched juco. Okay? Because otherwise you'll think, God's made me this perfect, perfect, I'm this perfect little car, I've got it all together, and I'm going to pray for, well, I really only want those to be saved who look like that, who I think look like that, which are the ones that look like me. But you see, what he's saying is, you can pray for and love and bless those who are nothing like you, who, who you really don't like. What did Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Can you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, and you'll be praying for them spiritual prayers in line with the blessings that come from a relationship with God. Okay, Rather than praying, like, there's a poor person, get them out of their poverty so that they can have food on their table like I've got. They're praying, bless them with a relationship with the Lord. Bless them that they might understand His grace. Pray spiritual truths about spiritual prayers, about spiritual truths, about knowing the Father, about receiving forgiveness, about grace, about humility. Can you understand what I'm saying? The wisdom from above, James says, from heaven, is all, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. And if that's what comes from above, then when we pray according to God's will, that's how we'll pray for others. We'll pray considerately thinking about their needs first. We'll pray submissively, thinking, uh, wanting to serve them above ourselves. We will be peace-loving and that's what we'll want for them. And our prayers will be full of mercy and good fruit. They'll be impartial. We'll pray for people who are just not like us. They'll be different races and different all sorts and we'll just pray for them and we'll be sincere. And those prayers will be Pure. And that's how we'll be, because that's how we'll pray. Okay? We'll be like the Father, because that's what He's like, isn't it? He is the one who prays for people like that. Father, forgive them, for they know what they're doing. And if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that, what we, that we have what we've asked for. We know we can pray in accordance with his will and he will listen to us and he will answer us in our prayers. That requires us to do something that um, I think it was Isaiah, but I could be wrong. God says, expand your tent, Israel. In other words, you've got this tent, here's where your family are, you know, all the people who are like you, those who you love. And they live under this tent. He's saying, pull out the pegs, Tack on some more canvas and go wider because there's some more people who need to come into your tent. More treasured possessions. I don't just love you. You're, you're wrong. You see? And, and I don't just love those like you. I am drawing people from all over the earth to the ends of the earth. Okay? Those who are downcast, those who are weak. What I'm saying is this. When we are learning to pray God's will, we've got to expand our tent, expand our vision, draw people in who are not the same because we are face to face with the God who looks into our eyes and treasures us and loves us when we, while we were enemies and while we had them all together and like I said, while we were rusted out FB Holdens, we don't have FBs anymore but while we were, we were rusted out and our gearbox was gone God was the one who loved us then 
And so we can look into the eyes of those who are the same and love them face to face and share with them Christ. We're the ones who love the junkyards of humanity. Do you get that? Because he's looking for those treasured possessions and so are we. And we are like him. And we know that when we were rusted out old bombs, he loved us. And that is all comes back to reflect the way that we pray for others. When we look into the Father's eyes, we see a reflection back in those eyes. But we're not, it's not like the mirror. The, the reflection we see back is Christ. We see him into perfection. Okay, you've all watched the movie The Castle. You've got to love it, don't you? <laughs> we love the movie The Castle. I want you to think about this. He has the pool room, doesn't he? And uh, when his kids give him something, doesn't matter how corny it is, how bad it is, he says, Dad is going straight to the pool room. Right? Doesn't he? And actually, I think you'll probably like this. If you, once uh, Teddy starts drawing a few pictures, they might be a head with two legs, right? That's not quite the Mona Lisa, okay? But they go straight to the fridge and the Mona Lisa is not on the fridge. Why is it? Well, because it's not about the quality, is it? It's about who did it, okay? And, and our prayers are washed and purified through Christ and then made perfect. So if you can picture that head with two legs, and, but you're picturing the Mona Lisa because you're seeing how God hears it. Right, put it all out together. What am I saying? Sometimes when we pray, it, it's difficult. But I, I'm telling you, praying according to God's will, sometimes we're going to struggle in prayer. It's like, God, there's this person I'm struggling with. They're really annoying me. But, oh, bless them, Father. And God says, you're looking into his eyes. He said, that is a great prayer. That's a beauty. That's going straight to the pool room, that prayer. That is going to be answered. Lord, I need your help. That, what about that prayer? That is going straight to the pool room. I'm answering that prayer because I'm in love with the person who's just said it. And Lord, you know, oh, you know that person, sorry, not you, but that can be so difficult. Gee, I'm, I'm so annoyed with them, I'm angry with them, and I just, just change me to love them. And God says, that is a beautiful prayer. Why? Because he just showed a whole lot of hatred and no, 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 no. God's seeing it through Christ. He's purifying their prayers and going, that is going straight to the pool room. That is a beauty. I love that one. Can you understand? Because he sees us in Christ and no matter how fallen and messed up our prayers are and no matter how mixed up our hearts are, because they're always mixed motives and stuff, he sees it through Christ. He said, this is my treasure possession. And he says, I'm going to answer that prayer. It's not about selfish ambition. It's about the love of others and that love is reflected through me who I love him and I love her and they love others. You get what I'm saying? Great thing to know with God's beloved possessions that we can love others in that same way and, and, and pray for others in his will and they will be answered and he loves our prayers. And I've said enough.